We're in the middle of a series. We're going from Mother's Day to Father's Day, and we're talking about family. Our series is called, For Better or Worse, Committed to Family. But before we get into our lesson, I want to read you a few uh, interesting things that kids had to say. I love I love things that kids say, don't you? Okay, so, so here's the question that someone asked um, some 10-year-olds. The first one is from a little boy named Alan. How do you decide who to marry? Okay, there's a good question. Who do you, how do you decide who to marry? He says, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. I didn't say that. Alan said that, just, just for the record, okay? Um, Kirsten, age 10, says this. How do you decide who to marry? She says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Again, I, I didn't say that. Kirsten said that. Okay. Um, Derek, age eight, was asked this. How can a stranger tell uh, if two people are married or not? He said, um, you, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> that's, that's probably pretty accurate, I imagine. Um, now, now here's, some interesting, uh, que- here's an interesting question. Uh, two seven-year-olds were asked, uh, when is it okay to kiss someone? And little Pam said, when they're rich. I don't know if that's good advice or not, but um, I, I like Kurt, what Kurt said, age seven. Uh, he says, when is it okay to kiss someone? The law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't want to mess with that. <laughs> I, like, I wasn't aware of that law, but I like that law. That's good. Um, Anita, age nine, she was asked, is it better to be single or married? She says, well, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys, because boys need somebody to clean up after them. <laughs> that's probably pretty accurate, too. Now, as we've said each week, we all come from, from different kinds of families. Our families look a little bit different. The church is made up of all kinds of families, all kinds of backgrounds in the past and all kinds of current realities. But our, our series this month is very simple in what we're trying to get across, and it's a part of the theme that we're doing all year. And, and this month, we're really focusing on the fact that our commitment to our families is a response to God's commitment to us. That you commit to your family as a response to God's commitment to you. That God has this relentless, undying, unyielding commitment to saving people. That He was so committed to saving us that he gave his only begotten son. That we wouldn't perish, but that we would have eternal life. And that, understanding that commitment, understanding that God, understanding that grace changes us. And it changes not just what we do on Sunday mornings, but it changes what we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It changes how we think about marriage how we think about parenting, how we think about singleness, how we think of widowhood, how we think of being a divorced person. It changes the way we think about things, and more importantly, or just as important, it changes how we live in those realities. 
that we live with a different kind of commitment based on God's commitment to us. So we talked about things on Mother's Day. You remember we talked about the fact that when you're serving your family, whether that's a parent serving their children or a spouse serving their spouse or serving your aging parents or grandparents, when you're serving your family, you're doing religious work. And that's good to remember, isn't it? That you're doing religious work. You're serving God by serving your family. And we talked about a couple weeks after that, that it's the grace of God that teaches us and trains us to live self-controlled lives. Why? Because God's grace gives us something better to live for than self-indulgence. I mean, let's face it. Without the gospel, all we have is just eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy yourself and do whatever feels good. But in the end, even that kind of pursuit doesn't feel good, does it? Because it ends up hurting you and it ends up hurting others because you don't know what you want. I don't know what I want. I'm so messed up. Man, I, you know, I was thinking about this series and about family and everything else. And I thought, I wish I could tell you just how messed up I am as a spouse and a parent. But I couldn't do that without indicting my family. And I don't want to throw them under the bus. Okay. But we're so, we're so messed up sometimes, aren't we? And what we want or what we think we want isn't good for us and it's not good for other people. But the grace of God has appeared and it trains us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright lives because God's grace has given us something better to live for than self-indulgence. Now we can live for Him and know that the things that we do in the body, we're offering priestly service to God even in our marriages, even in our parenting, even in our singleness, even in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness, we are offering our service to God. So we're talking about marriage specifically this week, last week, and and next week, we're talking about marriage. But I want us to know that it's marriage in this big picture kind of way. So even if you're not married, and my kids got on to me last week, uh, I won't say this at second service because they'll be at second service, but my, my kids got on to me last week and said, well, you were just talking about marriage, so that didn't really apply to me. But it does, though. That's kind of the whole point, is that we, regardless of our marital status, if we're pre-marriage or in marriage or post-marriage or whatever our marital status is, the Hebrew writer says that all of us should honor marriage because the gospel changes the way we think about marriage, whether we are in a marital relationship or not. Let's look at how that works. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and, and if you know about this letter, you know that they had all kinds of questions that Paul was answering, and a lot of problems that Paul was trying to help solve, but, but this big picture is this, it's that the answer is the gospel. Whatever it is our question is, the answer is the gospel. Whatever our problems are, or our questions are, or our struggles are, the answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so over and over again, whatever the question is or the problem is, Paul keeps bringing them back to this big picture of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 8. He says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, 
I, I want you to notice something that I think sometimes we don't acknowledge as Christians very well. D- do you see what Paul said about singleness? He didn't just say it's okay to be single. What's the word he used? He said it's what? Good. It's good. It's good. Did you know that? Can we admit that and say that and say the Bible teaches that for many people, not for everybody, but for many people, it is good to be single. And sometimes we, we treat people that want to be single and that are called, he'll use that word in a minute, called to be single. Sometimes we treat them like they're broken or like that we need to fix them or set them up with somebody or something, right? And, and Paul says, no, 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 stop. The gospel changes how you think about things. It's, it's actually, it's actually good. So he says to those that are unmarried and even to the widows that have lost their spouse, he says, it's good to remain single. Paul himself was single and he'll go on later in the chapter. We won't get that far, but he'll go on to say why, why it is that for many people, it's good to be single. He says, because if you're married, I mean, you've got to kind of take care of your family relationships and your spouse, and you have to be anxious about pleasing them. But if you're unmarried, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. And then you can fully focus on the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. You, you can focus on how to be holy in body and spirit, he says. He says, I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you like, hey, you can't get married, but I say this for your benefit, but, and to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion. Listen to that. Your undivided devotion to the Lord. So as long as singleness is a blessing to you and a blessing to others, it's what? Good. It's good. As long as your singleness is a blessing to you and you're able to exercise self-control and devote your, your life to God and serve other people and love other people, you can, you can reach more people with the gospel and you can teach more people and you can serve more people and you can help more people have a roof over their head and food to eat and clothes on their back. If your singleness is a blessing to you and a blessing to others, then Paul says it's good. Church, we gotta, we gotta recognize that. And we, we've gotta help single people know whether they're widowed or whether they're not married, they haven't ever been married, or maybe they're divorced or separated. We have to help them to know that the church is a family for them. And that the church has room for families that, that look all kinds of different ways, right? And sometimes I wonder, would, would Paul be welcome in our churches? Or, or do we just make room for families that look like our family? We, we just make room for men who are married. We don't have a category or a place for single men. We don't love them and treat them well. But Paul says, for many people, it's actually a huge benefit for them and for the church and for the kingdom and for the Lord, for them to be single because they can be totally devoted to the work of the Lord. So if you're single, that's a question to ask yourself. Am I using my singleness as a blessing to me and a blessing to others? Because our culture says if you're single, what you need to focus on is finding somebody, right? Paul says if you're single, what you need to focus on is being a blessing. 
If you're single, then you can devote yourself to the Lord. Not just devote. It's fine. If, and Paul says, listen, I'm not trying to lay any kind of burdens on you because if you want to get married, if you need to get married, if you, if you, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. So that's fine. But while you're single, you have this huge opportunity to devote yourself to serving God with undivided attention. It's a blessing and it can be a blessing to you and to the people around you, to the lost and to the church, to the kingdom of God, to use your singleness to be a blessing. The only thing in this passage that he says is not good is to be unself-controlled, to not be self-controlled. But that's true whether you're married or you're unmarried. And what is it that teaches us to be self-controlled? It isn't just marriage that makes us self-controlled. It's the grace of God, right? It's the grace of God that has appeared. And that's what teaches us to live upright and godly, self-controlled lives. And you can do that married, and you can do that single. You need to get married and you want to get married, that's fine. But in your singleness, be a blessing. Verse 10, to the married, I give this charge. Now, here's an interesting phrase that we'll need to talk about. He says, not I, but the Lord. And I think what he means when he says this kind of thing is, this is from me and this is from Jesus. I think he's saying that these are things Jesus talked about in his ministry. And so you know that because the apostles have told you what Jesus talked about in his ministry. So Jesus said this, not me, right? And then later on, he'll say, now, Jesus didn't talk about this. This isn't directly from him. This is from me. And I think when Paul writes things, and he'll say at the end of the chapter that he has the Spirit of God, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, so he's saying, this is my apostolic, this is my apostolic instruction to you, and this is Jesus' instruction to you straight from his mouth. So he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. And we talked about that last week in Matthew 19, didn't we? Why? Why those rules and boundaries for marriage are, are, are not put there to ruin your life. They're not put there to make you not have an enjoyable, pleasurable life. They're, they're put there for your protection. They're put there because God cares about you. Not just your emotional well-being. He cares about that. But he cares about Everything. He cares that women and children especially have a roof over their head and food to eat and clothes to wear. He cares that people, both men and women, keep their commitments to each other. And, and, and those structures and laws that are given by God are put there for our good. And he says, Jesus told you this, that the wife should not separate from her husband. And then he kind of says, parenthetically, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her, her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So in other words, don't leave your spouse and go marry somebody else. Verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. In other words, this isn't something Jesus talked about or covered in his ministry. To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So there could have been, and we kind of try to figure out, what was the question here? 
what exactly were people thinking or, or doing that Paul had to say this and had to communicate this to the church in Corinth? It could be that maybe they thought that this was kind of an escape clause, right? I'm married to a non-Christian. So maybe they thought that that made the marriage illegitimate for some reason. Maybe they thought, well, God wouldn't want me to be married to an unbeliever, or maybe they're unbelief will defile me. They're still a pagan and I became a Christian. Now, Paul never advises a Christian to marry a non-Christian. In fact, when he gives people advice like widows, he says, when if your husband dies and you remarry, remarry in the Lord, right? Remarry a Christian, marry a Christian. But So he's not telling Christians to go and marry non-Christians, unbelievers, but he's saying, listen, if you became a Christian and your spouse didn't, And apparently that was the case for many in Corinth, and it probably was the case for many throughout the first century, and it's certainly the case for many today, isn't it? That you find yourself married to someone who doesn't share your faith and love for God. And you wonder, does God want that? Is that okay? Should maybe I should leave them because maybe their unbelief is going to kind of rub off on me or maybe it's going to defile me or maybe that makes the, the marriage bond illegitimate or something like that. And Paul says in no uncertain terms, no, no, stay, stay married to who, whoever it is that you're married to, stay married to them. In fact, that's going to be the theme throughout the book. Whatever condition you found yourself in when you became a Christian, stay. Don't, don't suddenly leave your spouse because you became a Christian. The gospel shouldn't spread somewhere and break up families. The gospel should spread somewhere and make families stronger. Amen? And he says, stay married. Even even if your spouse isn't a believer, stay married to them. Verse 14. For, here's why. For the unbelieving husband is, here's an interesting term, is made holy or sanctified. Set apart in, in some way. Now, he, he's not saying that they're saved. He'll get into that in just a second. But he's not saying that they're saved. But he's saying somehow, in some sense, that when a Christian is married to an unbeliever, that that unbeliever is set apart from the rest of humanity. It is made special. Why? Because of their connection to this believer. Connection to this Christian. So, in other words, it's not their unbelief that has to defile you. In fact, it's your belief that can change them. It's your Christianity. It's your holding to the gospel of Jesus Christ that can influence them. And and it sets them apart from the rest of humanity. They're special. Why? Because they're connected to you. That's good news, isn't it? If you're married to somebody who doesn't share your faith and doesn't love God like you love God or doesn't believe what you believe, it's good news to know, hey, stick with it. Stay with them because they're made special. They're sanctified because of their relationship with you. And the unbelieving wife is made holy or sanctified because of her husband. He says, otherwise, if if you're marriage to an unbeliever was an illegitimate marriage, then your children would be unclean. But as it is, they too are holy. They're set apart. They're different. Why? Because of their connection to a Christian. Do Do we see the significance of that? That everybody in your life, every unbeliever in your life, especially the unbelievers in your family, they have something special going on. 
They have a special connection to God. Why? Because they're connected to you. If you have an unbelieving spouse, they have a special connection to the love of God. They get a special window into the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get a window into who God is and what God wants for their life because they get to see you. You are bringing the light into their life. And it's not always easy, is it? It's not easy being married to someone that doesn't share your convictions and your faith and your love for God. But don't don't let that make you want to get out. In fact, that ought to make you more committed to the marriage because it is by connecting to you that they have a special connection with God. They have an opportunity to hear things and see things and experience things that they wouldn't get to see and hear and experience if they didn't have you in their life. You are blessing your unbelieving spouse. And you are blessing your children. And to a lesser degree, you are blessing every unbeliever in the world by your connection with them, right? I mean, your coworkers to a lesser degree than your family members, but your coworkers and people at school with you, they're, they're a little bit set apart because they get to see the love of God, the love of Jesus in and through you. So Paul says, don't, don't walk away from your unbelieving spouse because as it is, they're kind of set apart because of their relationship with you. You are being a blessing to them. Look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. You you can't, you can't force them to stay. If they decide they're going to leave, they're going to leave. God has called you to peace. So you can't be the kind of husband that's going to say, well, you can't leave. I'm going to get, you know, stop. The whole point is that through you, they see the love of God. And he'll go on in the next verse to say, for how do you know, wife? That's a good question, isn't it? Whether you will save your husband. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? That's a good question. Sometimes we think we know, don't we? We think we know, well, they'll never come around. They'll never believe. They'll always be this way. I'll never see a change in them. How do you know? How do you know? I've told you about my, my friend before, but my first preaching job, one of my very best friends there, his name was Carl. First time I ever saw Carl, he was a little bit intimidating. He's one of these big guys, he used to be a biker, and I mean, he looked like he used to be a biker, and you know, I mean, he was kind of an intimidating guy, and I heard his story that for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know, his mom invited him every morning to go to worship with her. She was a Christian, her husband wasn't, her son wasn't, but every Sunday morning she'd go to worship. Time, 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 time again, she'd invite him, Carl, come with me to worship, come with me to worship, come with me to worship. No mom, not today, no mom, not today, no mom, not today, no mom, not today. He was probably 40 or 50 years old. Finally, one Sunday morning, he said, I'll go. He went, he was baptized into Jesus. He became an evangelist, reached out to the prisons in our area. Amazing, amazing man, amazing story. And then not too long after that, her husband, Carl's dad, also became a follower of Jesus. 
We're talking about people that were in their 60s or 70s or 80s. I don't know. But listen, how do you know? How do you know? You're so confident that you won't ever get through to them. You're so confident that they won't ever believe. You're so confident that they'll never respond. And maybe you're right, but you don't know. How do you know, wife? How do you know, husband? You might be their salvation. Their connection to you might be the way that they hear the gospel. And for many of you sitting in this room this morning, that's your story, isn't it? That you would never have known the gospel of Jesus if you hadn't met your spouse. Because you met them and you met their family, you saw a glimpse at what could be. You saw a glimpse of God's love and you saw a glimpse of God's grace and you were set apart from the rest of humanity because through them you had the opportunity to see and hear and experience the love of God. And do you not see that that's the gift that you're giving to everybody in your life, especially to the unbelievers in your family, your spouse, Children, your grandchildren, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins, your your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, whoever it is, they are set apart because of their connection to you. So instead of making it that you walk away from them and say, I don't want your uncleanness to rub off on me. I'm going to kind of distance myself from you. This truth ought to draw you a little bit closer to them. Because how do you know that you might not be the way that they hear the good news of Jesus. Look at the last verse, and then we'll close. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul's going to go on to say, if you're married, no matter who it is you're married to, stay married. And if you're single, it's okay if you stay single. You don't have to, but it's okay if you stay single. But but I think... The overarching thing here is that we need to be committed, be committed to being a blessing in the life you are called to live. Whatever that life is, whether it's a life of marriage or a life of singleness, whatever your life is, and maybe maybe this season of your life is different than the previous season. Or maybe this season of your life is different than the season that's coming up. But whatever life God has called you to live, be committed to being a blessing. Because our tendency is just to chase a better life, isn't it? Our our tendency is just to change our marital status. We're trying to find a way to get out of our marriage, or we're trying to find a way to get into marriage. We're trying to find a way to change our life. And Paul says, my advice to you is to stay on the path you're on. Live the life you were called to live. Be the person you were before you became a Christian, but now... Be a blessing to everybody in your life because how do you know? How do you know that you might not be their salvation? You might not be the one who will help them to see and to hear and to experience the grace of God. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And can you imagine, church, can you imagine if we really took this to heart? If God's people decided... Instead of being like like the rest of our culture and the rest of the world, we're going to decide that whatever life it is that we have, we're going to use it to bless others. 
Whatever relationships God has blessed us with, whatever relationships that we're struggling in, we're going to be committed to those relationships and committed to being a blessing to the people in our lives, whether that's our spouse or our children or our grandchildren or our grandparents, whoever it is, we are committed to blessing them because God has blessed us. We are committed to being a blessing to them because of God's commitment to us. Whatever life you're called to live, live it and be a blessing in that life. And in church, we all know that we've fallen short of this already, haven't we? This isn't, this isn't a matter of just making us feel guilty. Well, I haven't been a blessing to my spouse like I should have or my children like I should have. Join the club. None of us have. We've all fallen short. It's that the grace of God that says to me, Wes, even though you've messed up and you haven't been the husband that you should have been or the father that you should have been or the son that you should have been, I want you on my team anyway. I want you in my family anyway. I want to forgive you and I want to give you a better life going forward. And God is saying that to each and every one of us. And that grace... That gift, that mercy, that forgiveness changes us, doesn't it? This is a God like that. A God like that, I have to commit to him. I have to commit to living his way and living out the life that he's called me to live while being a blessing to others. So if you haven't received his grace and mercy, then why not make that the case today? Why not become a recipient of his grace and mercy and watch, watch how it will change everything. If you're ready to be baptized into Jesus or you just need prayers, we're going to sing a song. At that point, you can come forward or in the back after services. There's a room, my office, prayer room. Our shepherds would love to visit with you and pray with you and help you any way we can because we're all in this together. Come forward now as we stand and sing.